0: Well, hey, everyone, this is Lisa Anderson, and I know that top of mind for you right now is what am I going to get boundless for Christmas? Okay, be thinking about that, because I know that we are on your Christmas list. Um, Okay, but here's an idea for you. As we finish out this year, we would love if you would consider giving a gift to Boundless. And the good news is we have a very generous donor who has agreed to match every gift that is given to us. And so you have the opportunity to go to Boundless.org, just click on the donate button right there. You'll have an opportunity to give and that gift will be matched as part of our year-end campaign. So you know you love Boundless, you know that we're part of your life, you know that we will be next year. And so go to boundless.org, click on donate, give a gift. And it is uh, very much your way of saying Merry Christmas to us. And we have the opportunity to serve you in the new year. Thanks, everyone, in advance. Boundless show. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. And just a reminder to you listeners that. We are still taking your Christmas cards if you want to send them in to us. We have received cards already that are so amazing. We have loved reading them. Um, one guy actually like recreated our logo and wrote a whole card about it. And that was super great to see. Um, send in your Christmas card. If you send us a Christmas card here at Boundless, we will pray you by name into the new year. So you can send that too uh 8065 explorer drive colorado springs colorado 80920 and you can just send that to the boundless team Well, later on for our inbox, we have a guy who's wanting to know what the appropriate age ranges are for people who are dating. We mostly, you know, many of us know a couple where there's a significant age gap, and what is an okay gap to have? Well, I'm going to offer some insights. And then for our culture segment, author Tim Challies went through a very serious tragedy a few years ago when he lost his son, Nick, and he's going to really offer some encouragement for walking through a season of profound grief. So stay tuned for part one of our conversation with Tim. Well, here we are for our roundtable. And... Some of you maybe have not started your Christmas shopping yet. Some of you are maybe in the middle of it, and some of you are just like, yeah, I did some, but I can't figure out what to get for my grandma. Okay, so we're going to help you because today's roundtable is on finding cheap yet meaningful Christmas gifts or ways to celebrate the gift-giving spirit. And to weigh in on this, I have got Brittany, Luann, and John. Hey, y'all. Hello. 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 Okay, so I'm just going to tell you straight up what to get for me. Okay, here's... We're gonna, I'm going to put it on paper. I will give it to you individually. John's handing me a pen. I will, I will write this Thank down. Thank you. <laughs> so. Excellent. So, well, we'll do that after uh, after the show. I won't waste our time here. But okay. that said, it is... A very stressful thing. Okay, I want to find out from all of you, are you like joyful gift givers? Do you like, you know, we we all know the five love languages, and gifts is one of them. Is it even like in your top five, or have you jettisoned it out, or how do you feel about gifts, especially at Christmas?
1: I've mentioned before on the show that in my family, our situation is kind of unique in that my immediate family had three birthdays.
0: Mm, that's not that's including
1: right. my extended family, so I tend to be a. If I can just cross all the names off the list that I acknowledged their birthday and I gave them at least something, <laughs> I consider it a success. Okay. Because my youngest brother is born two days after Christmas, so it was very common for him to get Christmas presents and birthday presents at the same time. But. I'm a cheerful but also stressed out gift giver, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that's where Mm -hmm. you just have to go to some of these people and you're like, you know who else's birthday it is? Jesus. And so let's just talk (laughs) about him. No, it's tricky. How about you, Brittany?
2: Um, I think it depends for me whether I am prepared or not. Hmm. If I have found something throughout the year that I know I want to get a specific person, then I'm very excited but if it's, you know, December 15th or something and <laughs> it's 10 days till Christmas and I haven't gotten anyone anything or worse, I have no idea what to get someone, then it becomes stressful and I just turned into a really bad gift giver because I'm like, oh, do you mm-hmm. want a plan I picked outside or like, yeah, you know, a gift card? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. well, it's <laughs> Anything funny. I can find.
0: It's funny that you mentioned the whole like buying throughout the year because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm so aspirational to that every year <laughs> and I'm all about it. But this year I realized, you know, the problem with that is uh, returns. So like, and I'm like, I just won't even buy, unless it's something that's like handcrafted or something. I just can't even buy gifts anymore for people without having the option for them to return them. Because I know being on Mm. the receiving end, specifically from some people in my family, um, I need to have that return. option. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just be honest. All right, Loanne, talk to us. Uh,
3: I, I do enjoy the gift giving. Um, but sometimes it's like life is just so hectic, working a full-time job, going home and doing your other job that you have at mm-hmm. home of taking care of all that. Um, but the... The most frustrating for me is when, you know, you're asking for ideas and it's like, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. think that's really true, because if you don't care, I'm buying you some really nice earrings and they don't wear those. So guess what? They're now mine. So
0: um. that's a good plan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a great way to get more gifts. That's interesting. So, okay, well, to that point, and I think this is a, a helpful question to ask specifically in a very first world culture Do we even, like, do you have gifts that you know? Like, who remembers something that they got last year? Like, would you have to think about that if you thought? I mean, because this is, like, I I know what Laura Ingalls got when she was a kid because I read those books. And they got an orange, a piece of candy, and a penny. And I feel like when there's such a lack, you know, when when you are poor or you have so little and it's something you look forward to all year, it's a big deal. But I feel like for us, sometimes it's just, like... Yep, I checked it off the list, or here's what Mm -hmm. I got, or whatever. I don't know. How do you guys feel? Do you wrestle with that at all?
1: I do happen to remember that last year I got a particularly meaningful gift because my grandfather served in the Marine Corps, and he gave me and my two brothers and my father all a long knife with the Marine Corps logo on it. So it was really a big Mm. family thing. Mm -hmm. But there are only a few gifts that I actually remember getting every now and then because Mm -hmm. most of the time if you were to ask me what did you get two or three years ago uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) i honestly don't remember what i got (laughs)
0: yeah no that makes sense
2: i tend to remember usually every year my family we will give gifts but then we'll get a family gift from my parents, so it's kind of for them to, you know, <laughs> um, so like, they really get to reap the benefits of that one, but it's normally some sort of experience, so we'll go to a hockey game or we'll mm. they'll choose some sort of fun activity or a Rose Bowl game that we would go to, and so I feel like I remember those are family gifts or it's like a really fun board game, so I remember playing it mm-hmm. or going to the sports game, but Item-wise, I have no clue.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty much with Brittany as well, but I do have one where I've always remembered it. Um, I'm a um, long time married, but... When my husband and I got married, we were married 10 days before Christmas. Mm. And so Christmas comes and we are so, so not even having a nickel hardly to rub together. And we went to my grandparents' house and they had an evergreen farm sort of up on their hill and they let us go literally lop off the top of a tree to have a little tiny Christmas tree of some sort, poor little Charlie Brown imitation. And for our Christmas that first year we were married, I bought him a pair of black dresses socks and back in the day he bought me a pair of pantyhose. Oh, um, wow. And so all these years later I remember that so specifically. I mean there's other things through the years of other Christmases when our little ones were born and each year we would always lay them under the Christmas tree and take their picture. But um you know that one has always stuck out to me. hmm
0: I I really love I mean I, I think for me the things that I know now, you know, if it's not something really big or specifically meaningful, I have a couple friends who are really great at just finding super practical things like mm-hmm. kind of the things that I didn't know I needed and mm-hmm. then I'm like what in the world this is like this changed my life you know and um so that is kind of fun when it it almost because then again then you head into the new year and you're like oh I'm going to try this or I'm going to do this or whatever but I think it is fun to be Clearly, you know, socks and pantyhose, that's pretty good. I mean, that's like useful, at least. So I think that is um, very helpful. What would you say then, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, let's let's make sure that we hit on the the concept of to find something meaningful, but also not break the bank. I mean, what are, let's just get some like down and dirty tips for people who really are kind of like right now, you know. Notes app or pen and paper poised here to like be like, yeah, what I might need some help on some fronts. What would you say has been winning for you in the past?
1: I've used gift cards a lot in the past and I'm a big fan of them because, well, personally, that's usually what I ask for for my birthday. So (laughs) I enjoy getting them, but. The reason why is because it gives people an option, especially if it's for an online store that has lots of great options or a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives them lots of options to be able to just go and get what they want. Mm -hmm. So that's a big reason why I'm a huge fan of gift cards. But also, even if it's just something simple that you know somebody really likes, for example, my mom was a big... Um, hot tea drinker. And so when her birthday would come around, which was December 31st, many times we would get her hot tea to drink and it just made her day. Mm-hmm. So and that probably most of the time is not even going to cost 15 bucks. Yeah. So giving someone something that, you know, they're going to enjoy is a big go to for me. Mm-hmm.
3: That's good. A lot of times I also enjoy just what are those? I'm very much a practical Penelope. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm also my love language is acts of service. All of the others I can live without except the snarky sarcasm part that was left out of the love languages. <laughs> but anyways, I enjoy being able to help people. I'm just a natural helper. And there's been times with, um, our adult children that I've been like, you know, what is something very tangible that I could actually help you with? Mm-hmm. Um Some of them, for some reason, they don't enjoy doing dishes or laundry yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and there's been times that I've said, you know what, then let me just take a day and I will just come over and we'll spend it together. And we'll just work through some of those chores that you just can't quite get to you know, and I, I didn't know how well it would be received, but they seem to have really enjoyed the times when we've been able to do that as a gift.
0: Yeah. Okay, Loanne, you're officially going on my gift giver and recipient list. <laughs> you and I need to talk because I'm totally I guess like, I'm the giver. <laughs> well, you know, both ends. Actually, my, I feel like my love language is, is acts of service as well. And it's interesting because I think when you have something, like you're saying, Loanne, a skill that other people don't have... Or they don't enjoy doing Mm -hmm. That is a huge gift Like for me, another thing that people Way downplay, I know especially like Older ladies in my life Is like cooking something For Uh me to cook something is like Googling something, trying to weigh, is this healthy enough, but also easy enough to make? Is it like, do I have the time to make mm. it? Do I have the ingredients in the necessary utensils to make this thing? And it's just like a super production. So I, anytime I get, whether birthday or Christmas or whatever, Food items, straight up something for me to put in my freezer. Mm-hmm. People bake things. I'm all over that because I'm like, that is something that is not normally in my wheelhouse. And I just love it when people are so gifted. Come at to that my house. I will feed you. See, there we go. We're, Loanne <laughs> and I are going to go bake something together. <laughs> yes, That's let's what, do yeah. It. Well, let's make it happen. So, um, And I think, too, like for me, I would say I like uh, kind of piggybacking off of what Brittany said about experiences. Experiences, too, don't always have to be expensive. Mm -hmm. Like that just might be, you know what, for your gift, I'm going to pick you up someday and I'm going to find a new coffee place and we're going to go and just spend a couple hours catching up you know, Mm -hmm. or we're going to go and I'm going to find a new trail and we're going to do a hike uh, together and then go out for hot chocolate after or go out, you know, for lunch or something like that. Mm -hmm. And just something I think that's really, really cool like that is a good opportunity to, you know, for for making something happen in that sense. Do you guys ever think there are times when when maybe spending more money on a specific present is a good thing? Like, are there any instances Mm -hmm. where you've invested in something like that?
2: I think it kind of depends on the year for me. I for the people I get presents for, I kind of observe. Well, what does our year together looked like? Like, did I just go on a Europe trip with you? Did I not get you a huge birthday present this year? Like, it kind of. Helps me determine, you know, if I'm wanting to splurge, should I type of thing? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always someone, I know you're kind of this way too, John, who will splurge on a trip or something. Mm -hmm. So I know I've done that with family or even friends. So special trips or excursions even if they're more in town is definitely something i will almost always make the choice to splurge on
0: yeah that's cool
1: no i totally agree with what Brittany was saying in that if it's going to be a memory maker then yes by all means one of the best examples that i've seen in my family was my grandparents gave my own parents a trip to israel one time Hmm. and they came back, my parents did, with so many incredible stories. They said it was just remarkable to see where the Bible happened, where Jesus walked. And um, I'm sure it was probably a good amount of money, but looking back and seeing all the memories that my parents had, it's inspired me to want to one day go there myself. So,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I think for me, it's very much based on, um, like, I, I just see, if I have a friend that I know is tight on money and there are things that I know that they wouldn't be able to afford. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for me and I love being able to be the person to step in and gift them something that they couldn't do so like for example one year I have one of my friends as a single mom and I knew that there was a conference that she really wanted to go to a retreat Mm -hmm. thing that was a speaker that she really loved and I was just like oh yeah I'm totally getting that registration because I knew Mm -hmm. that she wouldn't do it I knew that I could do it I knew that it was something that I didn't necessarily need to go to so that was just an opportunity for me to step in and be like this is going to be your gift because I think and again it's just something like totally unexpected, but I knew about it because she had been talking about it. And so sometimes and that plays into the, like, listening to what people are talking about is another Mm -hmm. great way to get good gift ideas on Mm -hmm. that scene as well. Sometimes that helps. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about traditions, too, because sometimes we overemphasize gifts or the material aspects of Christmas and the holidays, and we forget, you know, we talked a little bit about experiences and stuff, but what about the experience of being with family and doing things and having traditions that are also meaningful and can play into the holidays.
2: I know one thing that I look forward to every year is actually a gift-giving tradition between my dad and I. We have a competition every year, so at least one gift that we give each other, or if it's the only gift, we wrap it, as difficultly as Mm -hmm. we can and we time each other to see how long it takes the other person to open it Mm -hmm. and it's gotten i mean i'm not old but i'm also not young so it's like a long (laughs) long tradition so it gets harder and harder every year it doesn't even matter what's in the box like sometimes we're like really you got me like a paperclip or something like (laughs) as the present that we're trying to open like that was nothing i've had him diving in the pool i've had to break cement to get into mine like it's it's gone to high high levels but that's been such a fun experience and it's one of those things where it doesn't even matter what the actual present is it's just the fun of trying to get to it
0: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah for me it's so funny i mentioned earlier how there are a lot of Situations in the past where I don't remember certain presents that I got for Christmas. But one thing I very clearly remember is the way I felt sitting by the fireplace, Christmas music on in the background, coffee in hand, um, my dad making buttermilk biscuits during the wintertime. Hmm. I, that I remember extremely well. And I just go back to that place in my mind sometimes and think about how warm it was and how sweet it was. Um, big tradition for my family is watching. It's a wonderful life and also watching elf. Mm -hmm. So those are two (laughs) things that we do Mm -hmm. on a pretty regular basis. um, when it comes to Christmas and even sometimes going out and looking at Christmas lights, that was another big one Mm. that we would do during the Christmas season. But just being together in those simple situations that has stuck with me and I'll never forget it.
3: Yeah, that's cool. You know, I mean, for our family Christmas Eve service at church has always been a, a really good tradition with each other, but also, um, some of the you know fun things that you do outside of the church body. You know, to what John said, the Christmas lights, and we're lucky here in Colorado Springs, they have some amazing, amazing places. There's one not far from us that it's like the whole hill of houses, they've got all of these massive displays and they're set to music. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just hear that music echoing mm-hmm. down the hill. And, um you know, those are really fun. And we also just um love talking about a lot of our memories from our childhood of, mm-hmm. you know, and sharing those, passing those on to, um, you know, the next generations. And, um, remembering just, especially at my grandmother's house, that just always sticks out in my mind as some of the best Christmas memories. It's out in the country where I grew up and they have this great big, huge pond down the hill in front of their house. And once winter set in and you just start up on the hill over here and you come down in front of the house on your sled and you make that curve and make sure you make that curve or else you get to hit the tree. Mm. Um, And down onto the pond when it's frozen. And just such great, fun memories. I mean, it seems like everybody we were related to was there. I'm sure it wasn't the case, but as a child, it felt that way. And just to instill that, you know, into future generations of seize those moments. Um, I often, um, when I'm looking at family gatherings and all that, I always remember the scripture of where Mary pondered these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. And that often comes to mind with these family gatherings that, you know, as you look around to really try and capture that in your mind's eye so that you can fall back on those memories. Yeah,
0: that's funny. I always sometimes, you know, people aren't on board with this, but I always like force conversations with my family like I will... um, introduce, I'll have like a series of questions, you know, that I make people answer and stuff like that. And sometimes I get rolled eyes or whatever, but I still make it happen. The other thing I do to Brittany's thing about the gift giving is, um, and I had just forgotten about this until Brittany said that, but I will often write a funny poem that like I'll hide the gift somewhere. And then the poem gives them clues of like where they have to go mm-hmm. to find it or something like that. And that's always fun. In fact, I did it one year for my sister for a gift she got. And every Christmas She actually framed that note and will hang it up like in her kitchen as one of her like Christmas (laughs) decor things. So I thought that was pretty funny. So, all right. In our last minute or so here, any other last minute tips for people as they're out and about trying to think of meaningful gifts, trying to think of something that might, you know, stand the test of time or be something that's super practical or helpful for someone?
3: I think it's so cliche, but they're cliches because they're true, is to not let the amount of money spent on the gift be what determines mm-hmm. what you get them. If they are people that truly love you, know you, I mean, people that are very close to you typically have at least a sense of your situation as to whether or not that $5 gift was the equivalent of the widow's mite. Mm-hmm. It's, it truly is the thought behind it. Gosh, that's cliche, but it is, <laughs> you know, it, mm-hmm. it just is. It's, if somebody has thought enough of me to think that I am in somehow in their life worth giving something to, I need to just accept it for what it is and be, have a grateful heart with it. Because otherwise it's like, you know, they've gone to that effort. They need honored for that.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: That's cool.
1: Loanne, you mentioned the word effort. I'm reminded of a time two years ago where my brothers did something that has really stuck with me. And it actually wasn't even a present that they gave. It was an effort that they made because sometimes some of the best Christmas presents we can give is just the effort to show up and Mm. enjoy the moment. But I mentioned last year on this podcast that, um, there was that Christmas the year my mom died that, um, I was able to fly in and surprise my grandparents Mm. and, um, showed up last minute. Well, my brothers did something the very next day that surprised all of us and what happened is that night on christmas eve when i flew into town it actually started snowing in the mountains of georgia and there was no way that my brothers because they had to work that night and so there was no way that they could get up the mountain because a lot of us in the southeast do not have some of the gear (laughs) that we have out here in colorado to be able Mm -hmm. to drive up the mountains but So they get to the neighborhood, and my brother tries driving up the hill, and these are windy roads, very, very steep, and all of a sudden, his car can't get up there, so they Mm -hmm. park the car and walk up the hill in the snow, and I get a phone call from my other brother and... It just so happened they were walking in the house (laughs) when I was getting the phone call. And Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, you guys put in a fantastic effort. (laughs) But that's a memory that I will always cherish is just the time that they took to be able to say, hey, we're not going to let a little bit of snow stop us from getting to spend time with family. We're not missing this.
2: Hmm. Cool. I think intentionality is important. You know, even if it's not a lot of money, if there's intentionality behind it, then I think that's the perfect kind of gift. I was remembering one time when I was kind of messing with my parents and on my Christmas list wrote that I wanted a car and a Butler. I couldn't drive yet, so I didn't need a car, <laughs> but I just wrote all these crazy things um, just as a joke. And then they ended up getting me little mini versions of <laughs> each thing. But the little Butler I asked for still sits on our kitchen counter every Christmas because it's just <laughs> a, a great memory. And it was such a fun little, you know, play on what I wrote. And they thought a lot about it enough to find many versions of everything. So it was still very meaningful.
0: That's really fun. Well, you guys, such awesome thoughts and great, um, you know, it's just so fun to anticipate Christmas and whether you're spending it with family or with friends or um, maybe some people from your church. And uh, obviously, you know, we have the opportunity to Uh, hopefully pause a bit and obviously remember um, why we're celebrating Christmas and anticipating a new year of God's goodness in our lives. And so gifts or no gifts, um, we have that to hold on to. So thanks, you guys, for reflecting on that. Thank
2: you. you. Thank
1: you.
0: Folks, we are here for our culture segment. This is going to be a two-parter, so you have to tune in again next week for the full conversation. And we are talking with longtime Boundless friend, Tim Challies. Tim, welcome to The Boundless Show.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I was saying before we started taping that it's been a while. Um, For those of you who've been with Boundless forever and ever, you know that our original Boundless team um, had connected with Tim way back in the day, and uh, he has written for us in the past um, just the great work that he does Uh, when he's not talking to... (laughs) to Boundless, which we don't want to act like, you know, we consume his world. Um, Tim is clearly an author. Um, He's a blogger. In fact, Tim, I I like to brag about the original Boundless team and starting the Boundless blog in 2004. And then I see that com was started in 2002. And (laughs) so you must have been the first blogger ever on the face of the earth. I don't know.
4: I was one of the early adopters, as they say.
0: You sure were. Well, that's why you got com. I mean, that's a pretty sweet yeah. uh, sweet URL. So um, he also reviews books. Many of you know him in that capacity. He speaks. Um, he serves as an elder at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, where he lives uh, with his wife, Eileen. Uh, three kids, two daughters, Abby and Michaela, and then their son, Nick, uh, who we are going to talk about today. Um, and and Tim, that the title of the book that we're going to draw from is titled Seasons of Sorrow, the Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. And so I want to start out. We've got to talk through some of the details What you know, as we walk through this journey. So take us back to November 3rd, 2020, just over two years ago. Now, what were you and your wife doing and how did you get this news about Nick that we're going to talk about today?
4: Yeah, it was a very normal evening. Uh, In fact, Nick and his uh, fiancée, Rin were about to pay a visit. Um, It was coming up on Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, that is. And so I was painting the house, and Deline was just uh, doing some tidying and sitting around. Uh, It's a normal evening, and then we got the news that uh, something had happened with Nick, that he had collapsed or something, and... As time went on, the news got more and more concerning. People started texting us, calling us, and then we got the call from the doctor saying that he had been taken to hospital and that unfortunately there was nothing they could do, that uh, he had gone uh, to be with the Lord. And so that was um, obviously extremely difficult news to learn and uh, really changed our lives in, in an instant like that.
0: Yeah, it sure did. And you, um, I do want to clarify, so he was in school in Kentucky here in the States and you being in Canada. And so, yeah, I mean, this was a long distance. You're just getting information in pieces, really, as you were doing that. Um, Yes. Yeah. Now, you, okay, you do say that you basically, you know, when the the news was, you heard the news, kind of this was what you had heard. I know you even uh, described the doctors as saying we did all... We could do, which kind of gave it some kind of finality. And you, you both got on a plane uh, to head down here to the states. And I, I love how you say in the book. I mean, even on the plane, you started. You're known for your writing. You're known for your blogging. Even on the plane, you started writing and processing. And I would love to know, I mean, what in the world, what did you start writing that soon? What did it look like for you to start journaling thoughts? Um, I mean, was this to the Lord? Was this just kind of spilled out on the page, all kinds of randomness? What was going on there?
4: Well, the initial things I was writing was basically just news that I could put out on the blog. That's the easiest way of getting information out widely. And I knew I'd called, obviously, or... Um, gotten in touch with as many people as I could that was very close to us but I knew there would be many others. And already news was sort of uh, making its way out because uh, Nick, he was at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary surrounded by friends and lots of people were there to witness his his death and then uh, news started drifting out. So I knew I needed to announce it. And so that was the first thing I worked on. And then just beyond that, just starting to process my thoughts. And as I say in the book, I don't really know what I think. I don't really know what I believe until I write about it. That's really how I... I come to terms with things, and so it was very much that form of, of processing the events just through the written word
0: yeah well it 's so often that we we say to ourselves, especially when the the person who has has died is a believer. You know, oh, well, it's just so great that they knew the Lord. And you really take it back to, um, first, first off, a story about when you were watching a a movie or a show with Nick and he was only three years old and processing the grief of a, uh, of the death of someone even in, in that movie. Um, and, and and as a result, you know that he came uh, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and that, that comfort, that confidence. I mean, when it becomes real, like, this. And here you now have a young adult. I mean, someone the age of people in our audience listening right now. Um, there, There's a realness to that that goes beyond just like, oh, okay, check the box, ticket, insurance, they're with the Lord. What were your feelings around that, just knowing that with certainty?
4: Well, it was certainly extremely comforting to know that uh, Nick had gone to be with the Lord. That really is our our confidence at Christians, that Uh, The moment we depart this earth, we're in heaven, we're with the Lord. And um, so, of course, there was tons of grief, and we really were overwhelmed by grief. And uh, they were extremely, extremely hard days. Um, Still, we did have that confidence. And even set alongside the the sorrow, that real sense of joy that Nick had gone to heaven. And, you know, as parents, what are we trying to do but to share our faith with our children, with the the hope and even the expectation that uh, the Lord will work in them, that they too will uh, bow the knee to King Jesus. And that was very much what Nick did. And he did that as a young child. And um, he maintained that throughout his life and proved throughout his life that uh, he was a follower of the Lord. And so he had that Deep confidence that there will be a reunion in the days to come, and so um, joy and sorrow can both be present in the Christian life at the same time. Uh, neither one canceling out the other, neither one, neither of them blending together to become one thing. And we we learned that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting and kind of side question here, too. I mean, it just makes me think. And of course, you know, knowing that we're talking mostly to an audience of, of young adults, many of whom have not experienced maybe yet a significant loss of someone very close to them. I mean, I know many in our audience maybe have lost a, a grandparent or, or something like that, but um, not many, you know, with with tragedies or sudden loss. So what, what mm-hmm. would you say reflect a minute or two on the value of having Having conversations around death and around grief while still living—I mean, what is what's the value in that and the richness of that as a as a believer? Sure. Con- conversations well, that we most often would try to avoid, I would say.
4: Absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, we do need to be prepared for death, and we we tend to associate death with old age, and of course, that's the right thing to do. That's normal. Um, maybe some of us have heard of people who have died at a younger age, but um, we're so blessed. Those of us who live in the developed world, so um, so blessed to really be able to expect that we'll live out a full 80-year lifespan or even more now. And so it does come as a real shock when somebody younger does die. But um, since Nick's death, we've we've been contacted by so many different people whose children have died, um, sometimes through accidents or through taking their own life or through things like Nick. this, very mysterious circumstances that we won't ever really be able to solve on, on this side of heaven. And um, it, we all need to be prepared. We can't put this off into the future. We can't think that death only comes for those who are old and who have lived a long life and been able to really think things through for decades and uh, make a make a sort of decision god's calling us now to turn to him in repentance and faith because we just don't know how long we have before in his good will and his good timing he'll choose to take us to himself
0: yeah well we know um you, you know i i kind of want to go here in this conversation, because so many of our listeners and and many people out there in the Christian evangelical world know you as someone who has a theological richness, who's delved into scripture, who is, you know, you, you probably know your way around a commentary, probably the Puritans, <laughs> you know, all of this, you know, you're a book reviewer, whose book haven't you read, you know, in that sense. And you, you do mention in the book that the concept of of the sovereignty of God which is very easy for us to to toss around and say oh of course i believe in the sovereignty of god but you talk about really having to process that and you know we we would say not, not Tim Challies. Tim Chalice wouldn't be shaken. He wouldn't have questions for God. He wouldn't be. He's rock solid, you know, not you. But talk to us about the, the emotion around that and what you had to do, the work you had to do with God in processing timing and God's goodness and your place in this story when it came to his legitimate sovereignty in that moment and in that situation.
4: I grew up in the Reformed churches, really the Dutch Reformed and the Presbyterian streams, and there was a lot of focus on God's sovereignty, and and well and good. God's sovereignty is a precious, precious doctrine, but it's one we tend to associate with salvation and maybe just kind of leave it there. And so we think about um in the Reformed faith or even outside the Reformed faith, you think about God's sovereignty in choosing people, whether that's his sovereignty in electing them, or that's his sovereignty in ordaining the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, the apostle said, Whatever your hand and plan had predestined to take place, somehow God was involved in the even the death of Jesus Christ as something he had planned and um allowed to, to come to pass. And so we think a lot about um, sovereignty as it pertains to my own salvation. Um, but in the death of Nick, I was really forced to think about sovereignty as going far beyond that, God's sovereignty applying to the nitty-gritty of life, even including matters of life and death. And um, I, I shouldn't have been surprised. When I was a child, I memorized Heidelberg Catechism Question and Answer 1, which says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I'm not my own, but belong in body and soul, both in life and death, my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. So there's a good lesson. Learn your catechisms because they've got the answers for us. And I should have known that they don't even talk about election right away there. They talk about life and death. And so I had to apply God's sovereignty now to this and ultimately I have to look at the death of my son and say, God did this. This was God's will. This was God's plan.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Well, and it is. I mean, again, it's it's where it becomes real, because I think it's very easy for us to talk in abstract sometimes, and even when we look at other stories to say, well, I want to stand with you in this, and and then it's like, okay, yeah, I need to know. I feel like big picture— I totally believe this, um, but am I believing it right now? Am I believing it in this situation? Like when people say, you know, I believe that God is good, I just don't know he's totally good to me. I, I see his goodness in other people's lives. Um, that, that makes so much sense in that. Now, in light of that, and another, you know, commentary on on. Tim Challies, you know, guy who's written a bunch and and talks a lot about the goodness of God. You mentioned how, you know, in the past, you used to be a little bit judgy about people throwing out maybe some trite phrases um, around God. You mentioned the one God is good all the time and how people can say that. And obviously, it's very meme worthy. Um, It's something people would put in a song or whatever. Um, You know, you you used to think those were a little bit maybe not quite meaningful, but your perspective has changed. Talk to us about that uh, in, in how that's played out.
4: When we are in times of deep sorrow, deep grief, um, some of those simple truths are the most important. And, you know, it's important to know when somebody's going through a really difficult time, such as the unexpected loss of someone they they deeply love, their mind really can become clouded. They're not themselves. Everything just kind of goes into this state of shock, the the body, the mind, the heart, all of it. And so um, in those times, what we need to draw upon are what we've already learned, what we've already established in our hearts and minds, and a lot of that is just very simple truths. Um, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. If we, if we really believe that, not as some trite little children's song, but as a fundamental truth of the Christian life, uh, that's something we can draw upon. And even things like God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. In in my my time of loss, when everything just seemed to be shaky. I could think, no, that is true. God is good all the time. So in this moment, in this situation, God is good. Somehow he's displaying his goodness. Somehow he's offering me his goodness. Somehow I need to accept his goodness to see it and and worship because of it. And, and so those simple truths can absolutely bless us and sustain us in, in our difficult times.
0: Yeah i um I want to mention that because i I mentioned on the front end of the interview the title of the book is Seasons of Sorrow. You actually reflect throughout the book the various seasons of that first year twenty twenty um, heading into 2021. And it's like, we don't even have to mention, you know, we'd already started out with 2020 being the dumpster fire that it was. And so, <laughs> you know, you were probably like, oh, okay, well, good, at least it's going to get better, you know, and, and then this. And and so again, that's why I wanted to say, you know, man, we come back to the sovereignty of God in this. Um, but in that season, you walk through, you know, it was fall, um, when you got the call, and then you headed into winter. And I felt you had such a valuable Um, lesson in the winter season of that year, Um, talking about the sun and seasons and being a Canadian. And I thought what you had to say about the sun was so valuable. Can you walk us through uh, that learning for you a little bit?
4: As people read the book, they'll see it does follow the seasons and the seasons are very literal. There's also kind of symbolic value to seasons, right? Seasons are things we pass through, but we emerge from them or even just the seasons of the year here in Canada. Fall gives way to winter. Winter is cold and bare and stark. And then winter gives way to spring, where there's a promise of new life. And spring gives way to summer, which is the season of bounty and plenty and and life. And so uh, the seasons have that symbolic value as well. And in that um, that, that one you're referencing... I talk about how it feels this time of year. If I go outside, it feels like the sun is not very hot. Like maybe it's just turned down the thermostat a little bit. Um, But the reality, of course, is the sun burns at a constant temperature and it never changes its heat. What changes is the angle of the earth against the sun. And so the rays, instead of beating straight down on this part of the world, they sort of glance off, making them feel less hot. And I use that as an analogy to say that in our times of sorrow, it may feel like God has turned away from us. But that's not the case. God is like the sun. He never changes. He never changes his angle, never changes his bearing. If anything's changing, it's, it's us or it's our circumstances. Uh, but God himself is fixed and constant. And that's true of his presence, but it's true of his attributes as well. So in our deepest losses, God has not ceased to be good. God has not ceased to be righteous. He's not ceased to be holy and loving and kind and all those things we love about him. And so we can look for those attributes and feast on them, as we see them, praise God for them.
0: Yeah. And I love how you also say, you know, there's us in this too and what does it look like, you know, in fact you say I'm going to read it here, um like the earth must tilt toward the sun, I too must change my angle, my bearing, my attitude. I realize I've been trusting too much in my feelings and I must submit them to facts, to truth, to what is eminently more trustworthy. And exactly as you said it, you know, the sun is is fixed and it is intense and without it we would perish, you know, but our perspective on that, especially in winter when um, the days are outrageously short, uh, even more so for you up North. um, I I mean, I feel like that's such a a great word of always us looking. I, you know, sometimes I refer to it here on the show as like, are we constantly daily reorienting ourselves to the cross? Um, You know, a lot of us want to look back and say, we walked an aisle or we prayed a prayer or whatever, but what is what, where are we looking who are we leaning on today are we oriented toward toward god himself um, in that sense and I, th- I think that was just such a powerful visual on that well in our last couple minutes for this conversation and we're going to invite you to come back next week because we have to tackle um, spring and summer of that first year and talk through other elements of grief but tell me a little bit about your because um, here you were processing your own grief but what did it look like for you to then be praying in your family with your wife and your daughters and walking through this collectively, playing the role of father and husband and, and you know, caregiver and keeper in that role, while also recognizing that you were broken and grieving at the same time?
4: What I wouldn't have known about grief or just wouldn't have thought of, and on one hand, it's so obvious, is that you go through it together, which means you're not just grieving your own loss, but you're grieving your wife's loss, your daughter's loss, and so on. And so if, if Nick had only been related to them and it had been their loss alone, it still would have been deeply grieving to me because I love them so much. And I'm seeing them go through this, this terrible, terrible time. And so the, these losses and the grief of it compounds. So you're, you're feeling everybody's Grief, And, you know, I learned along the way that we, we talk about complementarianism or complementarity between the sexes. And I realized there's complementarity even in grief, where Aileen and I grieved very differently. She as a wife, as a mom, as a woman, me as a husband, father, man. We, we grieved in very different ways, and I think we had to learn to be very patient with one another and um, to allow us each to grieve in our own way. And then also, if, if we talk about love languages, we could talk about grief languages, so that different people, some some emote, some don't, some uh, need to talk it through, others go silent. And all of this presents an opportunity for us to be so kind and patient and loving with one another and not to demand that everybody grieves my way.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So interesting. And again, I think it speaks to why we cannot um, try to avoid grief, even small griefs in life. I think the practice of grief and for us to be there for one another and to grieve with others, you know, um, in, in being that support for one another is so good and so biblical in in the process. Um, Okay, well, we want to invite you back next week to continue this conversation. Um, Folks, we are talking to Tim Challies. The book is Seasons of Sorrow, the Pain of Loss and the Comfort of God. And um, we want to make actually Tim's book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. So if you go to boundless.org, just search for 776. That is this week's episode. And um, you'll see the book cover there. Just click on it. You give gift uh, to Boundless which is awesome anyway because we are now heading out, uh, we're finishing up the year here and many of you want to give a year-end gift to Boundless so you give a gift of any amount to Boundless and we will send Tim's book to you as our thank you to you. So, um, Tim if you're willing to come back next week we would sure appreciate it.
4: Absolutely I'll be there. This love is, this love This love is Jesus, this love is, this love is, this love is Jesus in me, this love
3: is, this love is,
0: As we finish out the show this week, we open up our inbox and answer one of your questions. And this week I get to answer the question. Uh, this is a really fascinating one, which we've kind of dealt with a little bit on our site, but not I'm not totally sure how much we've talked about it on the show. So here we go. Our listener says, can you give me an idea as to what an appropriate age range is for a Christian dating or marriage relationship? I'm a 40-year-old man, and I know it's not okay to have romantic relationships with minors, but some couples have quite a big age gap, and their relationship still works. All right, so you're basically asking the question of, like, how much of an age difference can there be in dating or in marriage? And You know, this is one of those things, as are many of our dating topics, that we wish we could just open up the Bible to first and second dating and find God's answer on this. But it's not there, so good luck. Or you can go um, and just straight up Google and there are actual like dating age algorithms and calculators where you can put in your age. And I know a lot of people say like to go younger, you um, I think you divide your age in half and add seven years or something like that. I can't remember what it is on the higher end of the spectrum. But anyway, I mean, whatever. Okay, the fact is you just have to have a couple principles in play. And first of all, you have to remember that With larger age differences, even that of like say, you know, 10 ish years, say, like say seven to 10 years, you're still moving into some borderline different generational territory. And so if you're that person that's talked to someone and you love that you have all these shared experiences and points of reference and kind of Maturity levels come into play here, too. You really need to think long and hard about this. And so um, you mentioned that you're a 40-year-old guy. And I will say, you know, this is many of the women are bristling as they're hearing this because a, a common complaint among women is, what is up with all these guys who wait until they're 40, and then they're, like, going around on the online dating sites looking for someone who's 22 because these guys, like, let all this time pass. And now they're like, oh, I guess I want to get married, and I certainly want to have kids, and so I got to find someone younger. Okay, well, yeah, women are offended by that. Um And it often does seem to work in one direction, where often it is the guy is older in the relationship. That said, one of our own contributors, Suzanne Gosselin, married a guy, Kevin, who is eight years younger than she is, and she has written a fair amount about this at Boundless, and I want to reference two articles. Uh, one, she titles, Four Things to Consider When Dating with an Age Difference, and then another article, What to Ask When There's an Age Difference, and those are just a couple helpful uh, pieces of content that we have at Boundless to help you discern kind of like, where am I really getting at? Bottom line. I want to say, and thank you for clarifying that, yeah, we're not talking about like going after minors here or scamming really on someone that is blatantly inappropriate for you to be dating. I think this is where someone else's opinion could be super helpful. So, um, do people in your acquaintance, do people in your family, do people in your church think that this might be weird? And it plays to motives. Like, what are your reasons, your motivations for being interested in someone with that big of an age difference. And so and and sometimes it's not. I mean, it's a totally innocuous thing and it's no big deal. And I'm so I'm saying I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you like, "Oh my goodness, no, that's way too old or too young or whatever for you in that sense." But I would say sit around and and think hard about this and um realize that You know, this is something that this is why when you pursue marriage, you need to do it, um, soberly and sensibly and with a lot of prayer because you don't want to arbitrarily put ages on something or put parameters on something where you arrogantly assume like, okay, well, it doesn't matter that I'm 40. I'm just going to marry someone super young. You're going to have challenges either way. You're going to have challenges with someone from a different generation. Um, because a lot of times people start dating and then they realize, oh yeah, We don't, um, there's a maturity difference here. Uh, There's a disparity in maybe what our goals are, what our earning potential is, what our views on kids are, what our views on certain important cultural issues are. And so you want to keep that in mind, because that is something definitely to consider. That said, I think if you put some wisdom behind it, put some good counsel behind it, um, I would say, you know, easily no one's going to bat an eyelash, you know, when you're talking seven, eight, nine, even 10 years in some instances. It definitely depends on what your age is now, uh, going in either direction. But again, wisdom is key and getting good counsel is key. Well, hopefully that will set you up for at least a few things to think of as you kind of wade into this territory. And like I said, those two articles by Suzanne are going to give you a few more practical tools to use as a filter and a lens as you process that. And so, again, process in humility and with an ear towards what God would have you do, and you'll be in a good place to start. Well, folks, uh, that is it for this week's show. I want to give one last shout out, or maybe, you know, I mean, not that I wouldn't do it next week, but reminding you that we are taking your Christmas cards. Um, Those of you who have sent them in already, thank you so much. We're loving putting them up on our board, but uh, get a Christmas card to us because we are going to pray for you by name for everyone who sends us a card, and uh, we keep those into the new year, and you will be prayed for, and that's just our way of here as we finish out the year, keeping you in our sphere, keeping you in our hearts, and knowing that we're all one big family together here at Boundless. Well, I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for the Boundless Show.
4: The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on family. Boundless. Boundless. Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy of the Christmas season gives comfort and draws us closer to loved ones. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at focusonthefamily.com slash christmasstories. That's focusonthefamily.com slash christmasstories.